Welcome to Tech Writer Voices, a podcast for technical communicators where we explore all the latest trends in the field of technical communication. My name is Tom Johnson, and the podcast is online at I'dRatherBeWriting.com. Today I'm talking with Marlene Martinow. She is a manager of technical communications and marketing at New Dawn Technologies. And we're talking today about DITA. I met Marlene at a career panel at the university, no, the Utah State University, I always get those mixed up, uh, of students who are in a tech writing program. And as we were talking about tools and, and the different ways that we write help, she spoke enthusiastically of DITA. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to uh, do a podcast on DITA because usually the people who I meet who are, are DITA uh, evangelists, so to speak, are either like consultants or they're software makers or they're just people who are interested in it but not actually practicing it. So she is one who is thoroughly using it and um, has a lot of good good advice. Now, before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to mention two sponsors, Madcap Flare. Uh, they just announced that four new products are in beta, XEdit, XEdit Express, Blaze, and Team Server. So you can find out more at madcapsoftware.com and also Adobe. They most recently released the technical communication suite, which includes RoboHelp, Captivate, Captivate Acrobat, and FrameMaker. All right, Marlene. So can you tell me... Uh, what kind of what kind of system were you using before Dita to create your help content? Before Dita, we were using 100% the unstructured FrameMaker for all of our um, deliverables. We were using a filter or a tool called Mist2Go to transform all of our FrameMaker files into the web help, and um, we were using that just as a single source tool so that we would only have to edit in the FrameMaker, but everything was FrameMaker. Um, they were a little bit of a mess, uh, heavily conditionalized. We have six different deliverables from a single file, um, as we have six different vertical markets that we do. So we uh, specialize our, our deliverables for each market, but probably 95% of the content is exactly the same. So heavily conditionalized, yet still very much unstructured FrameMaker, for um, for what we were doing before Dita. And so why did you decide that you needed to move to Dita? Well, the we just needed a better way to manage our, our documentation. And the perfect example that I like to use um, as the reason that we, this is one of the reasons we really decided that we needed some a different tool to manage everything. We, about three years ago, we changed our, our minimum system requirements, and I really only had to change about three words in the minimum system requirements. And it took me three months to find every single instance of where they were listed in all of our contract language, all of our documentation, uh, everything that we were doing. It took me forever to, to find every single instance of it to change three words. And at that point, I said, there's got to be a better way to make sure that everything is in one place, to make sure that, that you edit, you know, completely using the topic-based architecture where you edit once and reuse multiple times. So we started looking at uh, a, lo a lot of different tools. Um, I attended the STC National Conference that year to see what the latest trends were. 
And, um, of course, data was talked about everywhere. And we started looking at it, thinking, well, maybe this is the right tool. Um, our The application that we were starting to write, it was written in XML, and I thought, well, you know, data uses an XML source file, so it might be the best way to kind of transition so that we our documentation is keeping pace with the development as well. I was wondering if we could just backtrack a little bit, and can you tell us uh, a good definition of DITA? What is DITA, for those who have no idea? <laughs> DITA is actually not the content, not your content at all. DITA is just a way of structuring your content. It's an architecture um, that allows you to structure content so that you can do multiple things with it. So it's your content is actually written in XML, and you um, basically tag it. If you're familiar with HTML, every single thing that you write has to have a tag and is applied to a style sheet. XML is the same way. What's nice about XML is you can create your own tags. So you can say, well, we have this piece of information, and it's, for example, a header. And so you tag it as a header, and then what you use DITA for is to actually transform that information into your deliverables. So you have a, a style sheet that says, in all of my PDFs, I'm going to try, I'm, this header has this, this, these characteristics, and this is what I want it to look like. But in my web help or any other deliverable that you create, I want it to look, I want that same header tag to look completely different. I want it to look like this, and you put those characteristics on it. So DITA is actually the tool that you use to transform your your XML content, your raw XML content that's completely tagged into your deliverables. And DITA does have some very, um, it does have, it's an architecture, so it does have rules. It has specific tags that it, it likes to use, especially if you're using it out of the box and you want to use the transforms that are available with the toolkit, you need to use those specific tags and kind of follow its format. But it was written for technical writing, so it's a really, it was very well thought out and it's, um, we haven't changed any of the structure, any of the architecture of data. We've used it. We keep looking at specialization because you're allowed to actually specialize it to turn it, you know, add your own tags, change the architecture a little bit to turn it into what you need if you have needs that don't quite fit. But we keep looking at that and we, we keep throwing that idea away because we're basically able to use everything um, that's within the basic architecture to tra- and within that toolkit to transform into our deliverables. So when you talk about DITA, DITA is not... When I first started, I thought DITA was the content and how it all works. But DITA is the middle piece between what your content is and what your, what your deliverables are. It's the actual tool that makes that makes your content into what you want them to be. Hand in hand, um, something to keep in mind is hand in hand with data is topic-based architecture. Everything has to be written in a topic-based architecture. So if you're not familiar with topic-based architecture, that's kind of the place to start. And what that is, um, is you need to write everything in a standalone topic. Um, and it's a little bit, a little bit different to uh, 
come up to speed or to be, you know, kind of think about if you're writing, if you're used to writing documentation from start to finish and then you're done and you move on to the next one. Topic-based architecture is a little bit different. So going back to my example of minimum system requirements, all of our minimum system requirements are in one topic and they're a standalone topic. So we can go in and we can change those three words or whatever it is that we need to change anytime we want, rebuild all of our deliverables, and we've, we've done it in about three hours instead of about three months. But keeping in mind, there's, there's three basic topics that DITA uses, that DITA architecture uses. And they're concepts, which are your overview topics. So if you're introducing a topic, you put it into topic, a concept, a, I'm sorry, a concept topic. And you talk about what, what you're doing, um, the topic that you're introducing, all of that information. It's just your basic overview information. Your task topics are your procedures, and they are separate, always separate from your concepts, which is a little bit different depending on how you're used to writing documentation. And the third topic that's part of the data architecture is a reference. So the reference is additional information. Um, uh, so they would be like system documentation that you don't want in in your regular top in your regular documentation, or glossary terms or things like that that you want to use for reference. And in combination of those three information, those three topics, you just you chunk, which is another term that's that's used a lot to to define topic-based architecture. You chunk all of your all of your information in these little pieces that can stand alone if they need to, um, but when they're put into larger manuals, then they, they make sense in the flow. And uh, the, the next part of DITA is to actually take your topics that you've created and create what they did it called the maps, but what they really turn out to be is table of contents. So you're actually taking your topics and putting them, organizing them into your deliverable. And um, when we started going through this, I created a reuse map to begin with, and I found that I probably reuse about 90% of my topics in multiple manuals. And that was another reason I decided to go with data because we reuse so much information. If you're not reusing information, then data really won't help your documentation. But we were reusing so much information across all of our deliverables, it made sense for us to write it in this chunking or topic-based architecture and, and just use data to reorganize them into the different deliverables that we have. So how did you make this shift into DITA? Did it take a long time, and did you did you use specific tools? How, how did you go from your your FrameMaker environment to this DITA environment? We went through a lot of different processes, and we weren't working on this. It took us about a year, but we weren't working on it full-time. When we finally decided to work on it full-time and, and really make the switch, it only took us about three months. And that had that was one person really working on it full time. Um, we were lucky in when we decided to go for it and finally make the switch. We were starting brand new manuals for a new release. We 
the application, the software application that we document, um, they actually, our developer, our development team actually went through and started a complete rewrite of the software. So our software that we had in the version that it was, they were going to do critical bug fixes, maintenance only. Everything else was in this new software application. So we decided this was the perfect time for documentation to do critical bug fixes in our unstructured framemaker environment only and move everything to data from here on forward. So we were really lucky in that we didn't have to worry about legacy information or legacy documentation. We just drew the line in the sand and said from here on out everything is going data. So um, a little bit of the process that we went through, we um, started with the three-use matrix that I mentioned to really determine whether it was it was going to be a fit for us and whether we wanted to spend the time to move everything forward. And like I said, when I started looking at my deliverables and how much information is is copied or reused uh, from within our our training manuals, documentation, um, even some of our project management tools use a lot of our content, different things like that, um, we decided it was well worth the time to move forward. And in conjunction with the reuse matrix and the decision for our product development team to, to you know, cut and move forward, we decided we're going to cut and move forward as well. So we went through a process. Um, we we did this all ourselves, and I was limited on. I made a couple of phone calls to some of the software tools that say that they use data or they have data in their system, the technical writing documentation tools, and I had support from upper management as long as it didn't cost very much money, unfortunately. So I had to look at a really inexpensive tool. And we knew we needed an XML editor, and um, our, we were given a couple of licenses from the product development team. They had a couple of XML editor licenses that they weren't using for their tool that they were using. So we started using what's called Stylus Studio as our XML editor, and then we really, really worked with the Data Open Source Toolkit, which is available um, from Oasis as a download. It's open source. So we really worked with that to do nothing else. I mean, those are the two tools that we use to do everything. Just because um, I was I was told to do this as cheaply as possible. So when we started looking at other tools, we thought that they were a little bit too out of reach. And so basically, the two tools that we had were an XML editor, and um, we looked at a couple, but we didn't really look too hard because we were given these couple of licenses by product development, and they had a couple of extra licenses they weren't using. So that was free for us, and the Data Open Source Toolkit it was free for us. And so we were able to move forward with very, very minimum cost to us. But it did take a little bit of work. Um, we couldn't, of course, hire a consultant to come in and tell us how to redo things and how to write in this new architecture. Um, my team was used to working from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, and we had to rethink and really plan how we were going to chunk our information into these different topics to make them so that they were reusable. And we actually went, they actually picked up on 
writing the topics pretty easily, and they were writing really, really quickly. Once we started to look at the architecture and find out how it works, they were writing really quickly. The problem that we have is it, it took us a couple of months to get our transforms working so that we could look at our deliverables. So they were actually writing for a couple of months before they ever saw their word in, in a print form or in a form that we could look at to say, yeah, this is what this is, before we could really edit the content, which was a little bit frustrating for the writers. But they worked through it, and they were able to get quite a bit of content actually written before they, they could look at their words in a, in a deliverable or a print format so we could make sure that we were doing what we wanted to do. So were you guys entirely self-taught? How did you learn about Ditto? Was there a book that you used or just online information? We we looked and searched for online information, and then we couldn't find anything. Um, finally, right towards the, well, right right about halfway through, we found a book. Um, Context Services puts out an amazing book, which is it's our manual. It's... Um, on everybody's desk, anytime we hire anybody new, we give them this book, and it's an overview of Ditta. And it really is Ditta's user guide. Finally, we were really excited to find a, an actual user guide. And uh, it's an overview of Ditta. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of the actual name. I think it's just an introduction to Ditta. Uh, it's written by Context Services, and, you know, it's only about $50, so it was well within our, our price range to, to buy this book. And it, we were struggling with how to install the open source toolkit because it doesn't come with a, a being open source, it doesn't come with a standard install where you just get to click next, 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 and it's installed. So we were struggling with that a little bit. We were struggling with our transforms a little bit. And this book walked us completely through that entire process. And um, so we were installed. We were installed probably within a week, but we were still struggling with our transforms. Um, and we finally got a couple of transforms to work, and they weren't pretty. They weren't what we wanted. But we were at least able to look at our content finally and make sure that we were coding things correctly and that uh, the, the topics made sense when they were put together and different things like that. So we worked through that editing a little bit after that. But we, we were 100% self-taught with, well, I can't say that, with this book. We were 100% self-taught. We were able to make it and be transforming and actually creating deliverables in about four months using the instructions in that specific book. It, okay, you've got my curiosity here with the book because I've got one similar to it. Does it have like a maroon cover? Is it by Jennifer something and Joanne Hackos? Or? Yes, Jennifer okay. Linton, I think, and Joanne yeah. Hackos. Uh-huh. Okay, I think it's just called Introduction to Ditta or something. Okay, yeah, that is one of the few books out there on, on Ditta. Although I was just reading yesterday that uh, Bob Doyle has published an article on Ditta in, in the next intercom that he sounds like he's a guy who's really a tech geek when it comes to this stuff. Maybe he's got some more resources I could point people to. So you mentioned the XSLT transforms. As I understand it, these are the style. This is like the style sheet that transforms all your content into the style that you want. And I've heard that although I've never really worked with XSLT, that it's supposed to be a little bit more difficult than CSS. Do you want to talk more about XSLT? How did you, how did you learn the language to, uh, of XSLT to style your content? And, and didn't, did a open source toolkit already come with some kind of style sheets? It does. And we are not XSLT 
gurus in any sense of the word. We can get around just enough to change our fonts, um, change the style, style, size of the fonts, different things like that. So we, that's, that our next step is to actually get somebody on my team who can really, really work with Excel style studies. They are much more difficult than, than the cascading style sheets. They're, and, and I'm not sure that they have to be as difficult as they are in the Data Open Source Toolkit, but um, it, when we had one of our product developers who has worked with XSLT a little bit look at them, there were some bits and pieces in the, in the Data Open Source Toolkit XSLT transforms that he did not even understand. So we basically use what the transforms that are available in Data in the toolkit, we use the PDF transform, we use the web help transform, and we're starting to work with the RTF transform a little bit. Um, we haven't quite finessed it to get to the point where we want to use it in production yet, but that's that's one of our next goals. And we just edited them just enough to to get a deliverable that we were happy with. So we added a footer image at the bottom that has our logo on it. Um, like I said, we changed the fonts a little bit, but for the most part, we are using probably 85 to 90 percent of the toolkit transforms as they were delivered, as they're delivered in the toolkit. So we're we're not we don't really understand XSLPs to the level that I would want us to, but we're we're working on it. One question that always comes up with Ditta in my mind is the technical level that's required for all of the technical writers to author content. So I imagine the XSLT stuff could be set up once by somebody who really knows it and then you don't have to you don't have to touch it. But what about just your average topics that you author, your your regular how to content? Um, how techy does one have to be in order to create content for Ditta? Um, not at all. I mean, if you're trained as a technical writer, you're techy enough, uh, in my experience. We, uh, I have a tendency to, to hire directly from Utah State University. It's hard to find experienced technical writers in, in Cache Valley. So I hire students directly from Utah State University, and they don't have any technical information as far as tools, and they rarely take you know, the, the programming computer classes as part of their program and things like that. So we, we have to teach them, we have to teach them how to write in XML for every new hire that I get. And the last two people that I've hired have been developing content within a week of starting. So as long as they understand the basics of, of how to, how to tag, Writing the content is no different than writing it in FrameMaker or writing it in Word or writing it in any other tool. All you have to do is just make sure that you're tagging it correctly. And there's some, once we run a couple of, you know, they'll work for a little bit and we'll transform what they're working on so that we can test their tagging and make sure that, that everything looks correctly. And, but it, as I, I mean, it, it's easy. It's not. It's not that technical at all. Writing in XML, you just have to get used to the format because it's not a WYSIWYG format. Unless There are several tools out there that allow you to work in XML that will put it in a WYSIWYG format where you can actually see what it's going to look like when you transform it. But we actually work in the native XML. So 
they can't see it until they go through the toolkit and transform something on the other end. So they have to actually really pay attention to where their where their tags are and how they work and, and you know make sure they're opening and closing correctly and things like that. But it's not it's not technical at all. It's really easy to get through it and make sure that it makes make sure that the tags are there and and they can always look at each one of their um, you can check each of your concepts before you move on to make sure that the schema is everything's open and closed where it needs to be and make sure that the schema validates against the data architecture. So they, they do that and they're used to it and and they're up and running within a week easily. So when you're looking when you're writing your help content you're telling me that that uh, you're basically looking at a code view, and you have lots of tags in there um, by tags like you know things that say conref and command or step or something like that. Yep. All throughout the content. Yep. And and it doesn't distract you in terms of being able to see the the text and and manipulate it normally. To begin with, it's very distracting for them. But with uh, usually when they get to the point where they say okay, what what does this really look like? What do I need to do that? They'll just do a quick transform, just a, not a transform that we would ever use in a deliverable, but they'll do a quick transform and go through it and make sure that everything's good on the final end. But um, to begin with, it is a little bit distracting for them, but they get, they get used to it and, and they just start looking past it. And you get to the... If you've ever really worked with HTML tags, you get to the point where you look past the tags and look at the content. XML is the same way. You get to the point where you look past those tags and you can look at the content and see how it's going to work with your knowledge of it. I mean, reading the tags becomes part of, you know, picturing it in your head or editing it the way you want to. So it's just it's just learning how to do that. But they still come up to speed really, really quickly. Our new writers come up to speed really quickly. What advice would you give to people who are trying to implement DITA, who are going through this process entirely from the beginning at their companies? Have patience is my number one advice. It it took a little bit longer than I wanted it to. Um, we had a lot, a lot of stress, but I, I had an amazing writer on my team at that time, and I just looked at her and I said, make it work. And she really, really worked through everything and made it work. And... Um, it, it's very, very doable, especially with some of the, you know, people are starting to actually use it in production. So there's a little, there's a lot more tools out there available than when we were trying to go through it a year, year and a half ago. So just, just have patience. If you can understand the concepts and you can understand topic-based architecture, going through data is a little bit of a process, but it's not, it's not that difficult. But you have to find tools that work for you. I'm not saying that writing in native XML is for everyone. I, I don't advocate that at all. If you have the ability to get some of these amazing software tools that are available that use data to do their deliverables but you're still writing in XML, that would have been my first choice in a heartbeat. But because we didn't have that kind of backing or, or funding to do that, then we decided to go this other route, and now that we're in it, it's just easy to keep it. But there are a lot of tools. Look at your options. Look at the software help that's available. Um, definitely get you know a couple of the written resources, the introduction to data that we used. 
I'm, I'm not familiar with the other one that you mentioned, but that uh, the one that's written by Jim Linton and John Hackos, is, it, it's become our Bible. We use it for everything. So, um, But definitely a lot of patience to make sure. It is frustrating at times when you can't understand what's really going on in the XSLPs that are available with the toolkit. Installing the toolkit can be hard and difficult at some times if you don't understand what's going on. We finally were able to pull our IT staff in to make sure that we were doing it correctly, and we weren't. We had a couple of variables that were wrong, which was breaking the entire toolkit. The other thing that you have to keep in mind is when you when you work the toolkit and when you actually do the transforms, you do the transforms from a command line and everything is written. It just looks like a bunch of DOS commands scrolling past. So you have to learn how to read your errors. You have to learn how to really read the XML, the native XML, to find out where what's going on and what 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 may be broken at this time when you're trying to write your deliverable. So it does take a little bit of techie, techiness, but um, you don't expect. I don't expect my new writers to actually write their transforms and 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 figure out the errors. I have more. I have experienced writers that can do that, and they do a lot of mentoring and training. So you really need somebody, at least one person on your team, who can do the entire process from beginning to end and really know and understand. And that person can be or should be a little bit more technical than the others. And if you, if you have that one person that can mentor the rest of your your team and kind of just bring them along, at some point your entire team will be able to do everything. But, I mean, that's my advice. Find one person that can do it all and have them work with the rest of your team and, and be patient because it takes a little bit of time and it, it is frustrating at times working with that open source toolkit because it's not... It's not a finished, finessed product that you would, you may be working with. So if you decide to work strictly from the open source toolkit, expect some frustrations, expect some delays. But if you have the time and resources, buy one of the tools that do it all for you, and then you really don't have to be technical at all. I'm curious, why not just use a tool if you're just producing? <clears throat> excuse me, if you're just producing like web help and PDF. Why not use a tool like Flare or something or even RoboHelp to do the same? What are the limitations of those tools compared to what you can do with Dita? Um, I really don't know. I haven't used a tool like that for about five years. So um, we decided not to use those tools. We didn't know how uh, to take our Dita content and run it through those tools. And then, again, like I first mentioned, we we couldn't buy a lot of new software products in order to do our deliverables when we started this process. So um, we actually created a little, our own little web help tool, uh, well, style sheet. We edited a little bit, put it in a search tool so that they could search and things like that. So I, I really can't answer that question because I don't know, um, I don't know how those tools interface or would interface with our content, and I don't, I. I'm familiar with what they can produce on the other end, but I haven't worked with the one for several years. All right. Have you met other people who are using Dita? Do you feel like you're alone alone here in your in your authoring model, or do you feel like you're part of a growing number of uh, enthusiasts? Well, um, I've had a lot of the same experience that you've had. Uh, there's a lot of enthusiasts out there, but very few actual 
in production. So um, as I've attended conferences and talked to people, when they find out that I'm using data, there's usually some shock that you're actually using it. And I think there's a perception out there that, that data is a great concept, but it's very, very, very hard to implement. And and you need to have a large team. It only makes sense for large teams. Well, I have a team of three writers, and to me it makes more sense for us as a small team than it would for a large team because we write just as many deliverables as a large team, but we don't have the resources to to really go through them. And and um, we are we're making our content so that we can reuse it a lot more and more since we started this. So I, I'm not sure. I feel like. I'm, I'm one of a few outside of the big conglomerates like IBM that actually started the architecture eight, ten years ago. There's not very many people out of IBM other than people that consultants and different uh, organizations that are that are really using it in production. I feel like I've, I'm the first one in, the, you know, I don't know if I'm the first one in the, in the West or the, in Utah, but... I really I have a hard time actually finding other people that are using it really successfully in production, which I still I I really have a hard time understanding that because, like I said, I I don't feel it's that difficult. It's not insurmountable. There is a little bit of a learning curve, but it's not an insurmountable obstacle to to get it installed and make it work. So I'm not I can't understand why more people aren't using it. I don't know if it's they feel they have to have all these expensive tools or they feel that they need a content management system, which can be very, very expensive in and of itself. Or, you know, I don't, I don't know what the stumbling blocks are to actually start using it. But I do feel like I'm definitely in the minority, in that we we are one of the few places that actually have it in production. So, one last question here: If you could start all over, uh, turn the time back a couple of years, or before you started using Dita, would you? Do it again. Is this something that you you have adopted and and you're completely converted to? Oh, absolutely, 100. Um, percent We a, a perfect example of this is we just um, find a huge client who's requesting a lot of documentation um, that we've never we've never had to deliver to a client before. And when we started going through a lot of the, this. And they have very, very, very specific requirements for each one of their documentation. And when we first started going through it, um, it's going to take one of my resources about eight months to get all of their documentation done. So I have assigned a specific resource to this project and said, you know, this is your project for the next little while. Make it work. And as we started going through there, we, we when we started breaking down their requirements for each one of these, we realized, well, if you take this topic from this manual that we have and this topic and this topic and this topic and it was just a matter of if we reorganize probably if if we reorganize content that we have five of the deliverables that they want are already 80% written and we don't even have to write a new concept for them we just have to reorganize them we have to re you know create a different organization structure so we're pulling a lot of topics that we have in our library that are currently in probably three or four different manuals, pulling them into single manuals for, for this specific client. And um, it's going to cut our eight-month project 
probably at, at least in half as we start moving forward because the content's already written. And instead of copying and pasting and rewording because this man, this specific topic was written for this manual or for this purpose or, or this, we write our topics so that they can be reused throughout all of the different deliverables that we have. So it's going to cut the project quite a bit um, just because we're able to pull about 75% of that information out from other documentation that we've previously written. And when I'm looking at, I'm, I'm never going to have a big team of 25 people. I just, I don't know that that will ever happen. And when I look at my little team of three writers, one of them who just started a week ago, so she's brand new, so really I only have two writers right now. She, um, when I look at that and I say, we need to deliver, we have a, a training conference every year where our customers come on site, and we have to deliver about eight training manuals every year. And some of them are read-throughs from the previous year, but a lot of them are rewrite, are, are new material. And But we're documenting the entire year through our user manuals and our admin manuals and our help systems, and we just reuse you know, 75 to 80% of that information to put it in our training manuals. And so when I look at my little team trying to keep up with the massive amounts of documentation that we put out, it's it's the only thing that makes sense because we just, we reuse everything. We don't have to worry about copying and pasting and then having 20 different manuals that we have to update anytime anything changes. We just change one deliverable, re run everything through our transforms, and then every all of our information on the other end is up to date and accurate, and it just it cuts down on so much time. I really think that it saves at least one to two people full time resources. I I know that we could not deliver deliver what we deliver with only three people with if we did not use data and did not use the structure that it allows us to use. So I'm I'm absolutely sold. I I don't want to ever go back to writing a manual from beginning to end and saying, here's your manual, now we'll move on to the next one. I never want to go back to that. This other, it works really, really well for our company. It may not work for every company, for our company it's been an amazing success. All right, Marlene, well, thank you so much for your time and, and for all this great information and advice you've given to people on DITA. Um, I know that so many people are really interested in this topic and I, I, I know that it will have a lot of a lot of downloads, a lot of listeners. So if anybody wants to contact you, I'll um, put some contact info in the show notes. Again, uh, you've been listening to Marlene Martinow. She's a, a manager at Nudon Technologies of technical communications and marketing, right? Yes. And um, if you're listening online, you can find more podcasts at idratherbewriting.com or techwritervoices.com. And you can contact me at tom at idratherbewriting.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have suggestions for future topics, just let me know. All right, Marlene. Well, that's that's about it. That wraps it up. Uh, I really appreciate uh, everything. It was, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed your answers. You, you really are an expert on this. So um, it was very valuable. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.